Welcome to The Buzz with ACT IAC, your source for the hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Join us each week to hear insights from government and industry experts, stay informed on the challenges facing the public sector, and gain access to valuable reports and thought leadership. Enjoy. All right. Welcome, everyone. My name is Libby Bacon, and I am a principal with Deloitte Consulting, where I lead our organization transformation offering. And I'm excited to welcome you to our panel discussion today, where we are going to focus on the new normal and the return to work. And I am privileged to have with me two women who will help us through this discussion. I'll be the facilitator. And I'm looking forward to just having a conversation about both the impact of COVID on women in the workforce, as well as then where we go from here. You know, times have changed. We're entering a new normal. And we want to talk a little bit about what that means and what we can do as women leaders in government. And so with that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce my guests. I'll let them give you a little bit more background on themselves. But we have with us Dr. Ileana Arias from CDC, as well as Ashley Wilson, who is the Vice President of Congressional and Public Affairs and the Executive Director of Women Taking the Lead. So with that, if I can, Ileana, why don't I go ahead and allow you to introduce yourself a little bit more, and then we will get into the panel discussion. Sure. Thank you. Um, and thank you for including me in the panel today. I know that the topic uh, usually is a very important topic and of interest, but because of the hardships that we've all experienced in the last year and a half, almost two years now, it becomes significantly more important to sort of stop uh, and look at what we have experienced and where it is that we are going or maybe should go. My name is Liana Arias. I do work at the CDC there. I am the Associate Director, uh, Associate Deputy Director for Public Health Science and Surveillance. Currently, I am primarily responsible for uh, coming up with the strategy, overall strategy for data modernization at CDC uh, and the implementation of that strategy to improve how it is that we get data, how it is that we analyze data, how it is that we make data available for important public health uh, decisions that are made uh, at the federal, at the state, and at the local level. Perfect. Thank you. Ashley, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. It is a great discussion to have. Uh, my name is Ashley Wilson. I am the Vice President of Government Relations for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Our job at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is to be the voice of business. We represent businesses across all sizes and sectors of the economy. Really, what we've been working on is to make sure over the past year and a half that our small businesses and businesses of all sizes have had their adequate resources to handle COVID and uh, to reopen. And we are looking at this topic very uh, seriously because, as you know, getting the economy up and running and having enough workers to fill these jobs is going to be incredibly important. So my job is to talk to Congress to strategize about where we go from here and to talk to the administration. So thank you for having me here. All right. Fantastic. So I think great perspectives that we will get. So why don't we start off then just, I'm going to ask you about what your experience looked like for the last 15, 16 months, um, how you managed in this environment, and then 
more importantly, what was something that you learned coming out of this remote world that we all worked in for the last 15 or so months? So Eliana, why don't we start with you? You know, I don't think it's that different from anybody else, that it has been incredibly challenging in a number of different ways. One is as a supervisor and the other one then is also as an employee. I think that we had uh, in, in the federal government and CDC specifically had some tools that we were able uh, and practices that we were able to use to respond, but we had never done it before. We never had done it on such a large scale and long, going for as long as, as it has. And what I mean by that is the change from working in the workplace to working at home. We always had been, um, and, 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 and honestly, we introduced teleworking into the agency which was met with a lot of suspicion and a lot of reluctance, especially by supervisors, thinking that productivity would go down, that individuals couldn't be, quote, monitored to do their work, et cetera. And when it was forced upon us for, you know, the reasons that it has been forced upon everybody else, it very, very quickly became evident that all of the fears that people had about teleworking uh, were, to a certain extent, not very well founded. Um, so that the biggest change that has taken place is both the current and probably continuing uh, reliance on teleworking as a way of running the agency. That, of course, spilled over into how it is that everybody then experienced that. So although the workplace didn't necessarily suffer as a result of it, in fact, we just had a review that we did internally showing that um, especially supervisors, more so than even employees, thought that productivity did not change at all. In fact, in some situations, it became better. But that came at the expense of what's happening to the individual employee, which is that that balance between work and private life um, and, and sort of personal life got blurred significantly and more difficult to manage uh, and people having to struggle with that. It was particularly pronounced among individuals who had either children at home and or uh, parents and other generations that they were responsible for. But I think for everybody, uh, it became a significant challenge. The workday certainly did increase. That is, it expanded. Uh, the hours were greater. And something that started, interestingly, I think, when we went to cell phones and then we went to Blackberries and then we went to, you know, smartphones, that disconnecting uh, was significantly more difficult. The expectation almost was that you didn't, uh, and a lot of people did not. And that's something that uh, I think became a significant hardship for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the uh, the disconnect point is one we'll talk a little bit more about, but certainly it became all work all the time. Mm -hmm. Ashley, what about you? Sure. I'm going to talk a little bit about my perspective as a lobbyist and also as a leader within the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It's interesting, you know, as a lobbyist working with Congress, we're used to shaking hands, watching members of Congress kiss babies, going to drinks, going to uh, dinners where fundraisers, where politicians are talking to town halls or are talking to large associations, having a lot of meet and greets. So this was very disruptive. What do you do with the Congress who the average age is about 75 years old? They have never used Zoom. They've never used uh, their, a lot of times they don't even use their cell phones. And so you have a very aging pop population trying to juggle this. And as you also have a massive piece of legislation coming through, 
during these 18 months of trying to get the economy up and running and um, add in all these protections. And so everybody was sort of scrambling. How do you get to these members of Congress and tell them this is what small business needs right now? So it, it was it was interesting. You know, you're trading fundraisers and meetings and parades for telephone calls and telephone and video calls and conference calls where you have members of commerce, you know, saying, can you mute yourself just like everybody else? And you're seeing and you're talking to members of Congress, maybe hiding out in the bathroom like everyone else was, you know, staffers trying to figure out how to uh, navigate the webcam. So, you know, members were at home. They couldn't vote remotely. Uh, or they've never voted remotely. So you had to have that, you know, how do you put this in place where members can vote remotely? They can uh, talk to people um, when there's all types of memos going around that uh, Zoom is not secure or some of these web or some of these platforms are not secure. So what can you say, not say? All at the same time, there's a national security. There's, you know, huge crisis going on. So there was a huge pivot and, uh, it, it was great in the sense that now everyone knows how to use this technology and you have an ability to uh, talk and bring everybody, not just people in DC, but everybody around the country into some of your meetings when you're talking to members of Congress. So for example, you know, usually when a crisis like this happens, I'm in these, these hallways for 18 hours a day, you know, talking to members, trying to get their, their point of view, um, trying to convince them with our talking points, our letters, how to do this. And instead, I'm trying to figure out everyone's cell phone numbers and everyone's, you know, who their chief of staff is and how I can get to them. So if you had that relationship beforehand, it's good. So, but now the building is not as important as the people. Uh, the hallways are not as important as, you know, having cell phone access or text um, texting abilities. The old ways been replaced by text and social media. You saw a lot of folks leaning into social media to meet with and talk to their members of Congress. And, you know, we all, we all adjusted and we're all social people as lobbyists. So learning to use technology when you're used to shaking hands and talking to person face to face and developing that trust was different, but everyone adjusted and we were able to get several massive bills through that were helpful. And, you know, as a leader, I would say at the chamber, we also were used to having lots of events in our building, you know, heads of agencies and members of Congress and, you know, heads of state coming in through, we didn't really have the resources set up to do that. But like everyone else, we pivoted to online. And whereas we were only able to get about two or 300 usually in our meeting rooms to have these events, now we have thousands of people. Thousands join when we say call to action or, you know, this is what's happening in Congress. And if you're a small business, log on. I mean, we were getting everybody from across the country. So it was beneficial um, to, to go through that process. And we'll take a lot of this forward. But again, I think the downside was everyone was juggling so much new information and having to work around the clock because you're also reaching the whole country now that the, the lines were blurred and, and now we're 
really leaning into health and well-being and balance and talking about childcare, that is going to be important when we talk about balance going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just so interesting to think about, um, talk about an industry that is used to in-person and making that shift um, and having to do it overnight, as you talked about. And, you know, Ashley, you, you hit on a couple of the silver linings. You know, one of the studies that Deloitte had done of over 400 women in the workplace was Unfortunately, 82% felt that their lives were negatively impacted by the pandemic and the work that we had to do during it. But I want to focus on the positive. Um, So you hit on a little bit of the silver lining. Ileana, I'm curious, are there other silver linings that we learned from over the course of the pandemic that we can carry forward with us into our new normal of work? I mean, I think one of the silver linings I mentioned already, which is even given the the suspicion of teleworking or, you know, sort of not the standard, you know, 40 hour a week schedule and that sort of thing, we learned that it is possible. And so if there is somebody who then benefits from that, a worker or a workplace, we know the data basically show that it is possible to do and it is, you're not going to lose productivity or effectiveness as a result of doing it. I think that's a great silver lining because it gives more opportunities and more options for how it is that not only you run the workplace, but then for the for the employees choices in terms of how it is that they're going to contribute to the work that is being uh, done by that employer. Uh, So that's a significant one. Uh, For me personally, one that I think affects probably in the DC area and in other sort of traffic congested areas is not having to commute uh, and not dealing with that additional stressor, uh, sort of getting rid of that stressor. We had other stresses, but we got rid of that one. And that's a major one. So we didn't have to worry about getting up two hours, you know, before you had to be at work in order to make sure that you made it on time and risk, you know, life and limb uh, when you were doing it because of, you know, the crashes that take place uh, at that time more likely than uh, when there's less traffic, et cetera. So that was a significant one. I think the other is, especially for the employer uh, and supervisors, I, I think they became more aware and appreciative of the wellness issue and the sort of balance issue between sort of work and home or or private life. I think before COVID and before we all had to struggle with sort of working at home and and that kind of a thing and and all these other things. And, and, you know, it's it's difficult to say, but I do think that a lot of times supervisors were very wary and leery of wellness efforts uh, in the workplace, uh, even when when there was data suggesting that it was effective. But I think having gone through it and experienced it, both in terms of seeing the, the, you know, the increase in stress among workers, and then the ability to sort of deal with that and decrease it by instituting things that really are not that time consuming or that expensive, it has brought people around to appreciating that. Uh, And so that's something that probably will continue uh, as we go back to work, because again, it was not disruptive, it was not expensive, and there was significant dividends associated with those investments. So I think that greater appreciation for wellness and the importance of that for productivity, uh, and then making sure that there is that balance, uh, and that people do achieve that balance and providing um, support for that uh, is a silver lining of what has happened. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it is incredible. I think wellness is a topic that we're seeing more now than I can remember in my career, certainly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Before we do, Ashley, I'm curious, you know, you went from all in person to all virtual. I'm curious to hear what 
what the new normal does look like in the next couple of months and as you're transitioning back. And maybe Ashley, we'll start with you and then I'll come back to Ileana on that topic. So what is work experience going to look like in the coming months? Uh, across the board, as far as lobbying goes, I think that is going to be interesting. I think it's going to require a lot of well thought out plans because I'm not sure whether or not members of Congress and staff are quite ready to have everyone back in the building. We also had the January 6th event. That was a third type of um, crisis that we experienced. And so there is some security issues. But because lobbyists are so social and building trust is so important to have these events in person, there is going to be a lot of pressure to face-to-face meetings because you're just really, really going to need trust. And I'm not sure yet how online trust is built versus in-person trust and whether or not you can do it, which way you can build that out and and if you can, and if it's better. Um, So I think uh, the pivot is going to look very different. There might be a lot of pressure just to go back really quickly and forget about everything we've learned up to this date, because there is an industry behind fundraising. There's an industry behind, you know, the buildings and, and uh, getting people back there. So I think there'll be some pressure there to, to bear, but if you were to keep this type of um, hybrid work possible, you're going to have to really think it out so that uh, the people that aren't in person can benefit as well. So I guess it's a long way to saying, I'm not really sure how this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, that's one thing we all probably, none of us are. Um, uh, absolutely. But Ileana, how about yourself and CDC? Yeah, we're, so, you know, we have gone through fits and starts about when it is that we will be returning. And, you know, it started, oh, we'll do it in June. Then it was July and then September. And now we're hearing it's not going to be till October. And of course, that's if the variants behave and, and don't get out of control. The, the expectation is that it is, we're not, the, the agency is not taking a hard line about how it is that that's done. They, they have called for a phased in return uh, in October, meaning that we're going to do it in waves, uh, but they have not stated what are the limits in terms of, you know, whether people telework how long or whatever. Instead, what they're doing is they're having supervisors take into account what it is that works for their programs uh, and then sort of work around that. I do think that there is going to be more and more liberal teleworking than there was before. So I can tell you that in my office specifically, the plan that we have is to go back and everybody will be working three days in the office and then two days from home. That also has been driven, and and this is a sort of a a good outcome of going to this. Another good outcome of the teleworking is that we are going to be able to give up lease space uh, that was incredibly, incredibly expensive for us to maintain. Uh, And so have fewer people on campus at any point in time and be able to sort of fit everybody in the buildings that we own and not have to rent as much. So that's also driving that. 
I do think that we're going to probably be able to do most of what we were doing before, including one of the things that I didn't mention earlier as a silver lining was not having to travel as much, not just commuting, but we're in Atlanta. And so that meant that a lot of us had to be flying up to DC, even if it was just for a day, every other week, every three weeks or every two weeks or something like that for a number of different reasons. And of course, there were all the conferences in visiting states, et cetera, and that will return. Uh, I don't think that, that the teleworking is going to make a difference uh, in, in that that necessarily, uh, other than what's going to make a difference is since we haven't been doing that traveling for as long, do we need to you know pick up that, that uh, rate of traveling that we were doing before? Uh, so that's another one that has to be thought through. And I want to get back to something that Ashley was talking about before about sort of the relationship. One of the things that we at, at CDC, given the way we were running it before and then what we're doing now, one of the the things that did not work out as well as we had thought it would is the creating relationships. I mean, we are we are aware that everything that we do is contingent upon relationships that we build, whether it's with Congress, with state health individuals, or at the local level, or even with folks in the in the non-government sector. Uh, that those relationships are key. And, and and not so much the collaboration, it's setting up the relationship in order to sort of continue that connection uh, over time. And the, the inability to do that in person um, certainly did affect that. And we did not find, I don't think people would say that creating those relationships or maintaining those relationships uh, were as effective uh, using sort of virtual communication and virtual relationship building. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, one of the keys that people are scratching their head and trying to figure out because there are moments that do matter. Um, and I know at Deloitte, one of the things we're looking at is how can we create those moments in person, but for very specific activities, as opposed to just return to a culture of traveling all the time. Yeah. So maybe we'll stay there for a minute and uh, we'll see if Ashley any thoughts on that? I mean, particularly in that lobbyist environment, do you think it is possible that you can create those relationships and that trust in virtual interactions? Or is it thinking about and structuring your meetings very purposefully based upon, you know, what, what you're driving to when it comes to that relationship? So I'm curious, Ashley, if you guys have given that some thought and uh, any early thinking there. Again, this is very early thinking, but what we saw was that obviously, and everyone saw this, productivity wasn't an issue with remote working. Uh, the strain was a little bit on um, team culture, maybe and um, seemed to be hampering innovation. There was a little bit of strain around uh, in the beginning of creating a, a culture that was open to everybody. And so what we did was we had really incredible transparency where every single meeting that we had was we we took notes so everyone could kind of see along the way um, any sort of phone call we had with members any any type of uh, uh, communication everything was in one place so no matter when you logged in or who you talked to you could kind of follow along where things were and that that was helpful for keeping um, the culture and, and people understanding where everything was in a fast moving environment, because again, with that legislation that was moving so quickly, um, usually it takes years and years to get a, a bill 
passed into law and this happened in, in less than six weeks. And so that would, there was a lot of really need to know information. Um, and we handled that very well. Now, as far as meeting new people, uh, that's that's been a little bit more difficult um, and maintaining relationships in this process. And so you have to be really, you have to be really intentional and you need to, and I think people are really open to this where you reach out and say, you're new, I, I want to meet you and let's, you know, let's have a coffee, a virtual coffee. So being intentional about expanding your networks and doing it in a hybrid way and that, okay, I have 30 minutes to go for a, a walking meeting. Do you have a chance to meet for a walking meeting or do you have a chance to meet up for coffee here? Um, but again, it's just sort of expanding your networks and being very intentional in a virtual world. And we did that by, you know, creating little micro environments. So if you care about the highway bill coming up, or if you care about, you know, taxes, that a community, I would say, hey, we're going to have a meeting um, on these tax issues, invite, you know, someone new um, who would like to join. And so, you know, trying to engage people to invite new people in so you can meet new people and then keep that those relationships going. Because a lot in our business is about exchanging information and who knows what and why and why do they care. So that, that's a how, where, and when we work um, is what everyone's talking about and maintaining culture and engagement and meeting new people uh, and being intentional about it. So I think there's way to, ways to do it. You just as an individual need to pursue that. And as a leader, you need to make sure that you are showing that as an example too, or providing opportunities where others can join with you as you meet new people. And that's particularly important when you've got a headquarters and then you have a lot of different other buildings that maybe aren't at headquarters or divisions. And so making sure everyone knows at headquarters, somebody else from that division or in my case, it would be a member of Congress that's new and, and they're brand new and they don't know who to talk to being aggressive as far as reaching out. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the word intentional is very purposeful and it's a good one because um, it does take that extra effort. Uh, one question, because, you know, I think, unfortunately, we have seen and when we surveyed a group of uh, female leaders, that seven out of 10 women experienced negative shifts during the pandemic. And there's a concern that it's gonna actually even slow their career progression. So as two prominent, very successful leaders, um, and Eliana, I'll start with you. I'm curious to see or get your thoughts on how we can help women in this new hybrid environment. And if there are specific strategies that we need to employ given the concern around career progression. Yeah, and it's a little, you know, I think there are specific things that supervisors can do and then that employees can do themselves. And, and for me, I think both of them have to do with the discussion we've been having now, which is relationships. And, and part of that is visibility and inclusivity. Um, I think that, you know, going to a virtual workplace, even if it's not 100%, cuts down on 
you know, you being visible, you being in people's minds so that when they're setting up a meeting or something is coming up, they think of including you. Uh, if you're not in front of them, then you're less likely for that to happen. So one of the things that I think we both we have to do on both sides of the aisle is how is it that I as an employee make sure that I keep that presence so that people think about that? And then importantly, how is it that supervisors make sure that they're sort of keeping contact with everybody in the workplace so that they have, you know, that visibility to those individuals and not forget about whatever skills they have and whatever contribution they can make. It's, it's very difficult. It's, it's very similar to the unconscious bias issues that we deal with, uh, that, you know, we, we go to those trainings, we understand, but then the issue, okay, how do I overcome it? How is it that I do this? And so thinking of ways to ask yourself the question, you know, as a supervisor, who have I not had contact with either, whether it's just seeing them on a screen or actually interacting them with them, you know, this week, uh, and then reaching out to those individuals and finding out what they're working on, what they're doing, and, and taking the time out to reach out to people so that they don't get marginalized over time because they're not there all the time. Likewise, if you are at the sort of the, the working end, not the supervisory end, then it's sort of touching in with people. Oh, what did you do last week? What meetings did you go to? just to see what's going on that you weren't part of and then finding out a little bit more about that. I do think that that's difficult to do when you are an employee because you don't understand, you don't know and you don't, you don't trust how that's going to be taken. It might be seen as a little too pushy. And so I think that there is an opportunity for us to sort of push supervisors and, and, and sort of educate them a little bit about the, the unintentional consequences of not having people available to you all the time. And you're going to fall back on the usual people that you are you know, more familiar with or have worked more. And then how is it that you expand that circle of contact so that, again, you do not leave anybody out and can create that space for inclusivity of everybody to the extent that it's appropriate. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think it's taking Ashley's word of intentional and bringing that into as you're thinking about your teams and your team's mm -hmm. growth. Ashley, I'm curious, I'll ask you the same question just around if there are certain strategies you're thinking about employing um, to help in, a, in this hybrid work environment, particularly for female leaders. Yeah, well, you know, thank you for that question. <laughs> The pandemic definitely has exasperated existing gender gaps and we need more support. Um, before the pandemic, the World Bank estimated 150 years, right, before gender equality and the pandemic has definitely exasperated that. Women are dropping out faster. Um, you know, there's some concern in the hybrid workforce. You know, it will it may continue unless you are intentional about including and, and balance and, you know, everything that the workforce is now talking about. So I think as, you know, the vision of rebuilding the country, we need to really lean into the care economy. Um, I think the silver lining in the pandemic, one of the silver linings is that now employers are talking about balance. They're talking about the care economy. They're talking about, you know, all these issues Ileana spoke about very well. Um, but the priorities have shifted. When in the world have we ever talked about the need for care? 
we just never have as a country. So the fact that it's on um, the platform, you know, people are talking about that is great because we can't afford to lose women, right? They have $1.7 trillion in investable assets right now. Um, you know, they're half the workforce. They're half of uh, the population. If you really want a business to be up and running or a government, uh, you need to know what women think. And we just can't afford to lose any more women. And we would say this is the fourth crisis, right? Pandemic, economic, racial, and then now it's caregiving. Um, and everyone has felt it really deeply. Um, you see CEOs and members of Congress uh, juggling because they're at home and they can't get away to the office. And so they know what it takes. And so I think to be clear about what we go back to, I think we all need to really think about it. We don't want to go back to a system that doesn't work for women. We need to go back to a system that works for women. And so what does that mean? You know, what issues do we need to address? And at the chamber, you know, we are really working on a very, and I know Deloitte has done it and, and some other great companies, um, what kind of care we're offering and what kind of care resources we're offering. There's been, you know, a lot of talk about paid leave policy. There's elder care, child care, all of that is on the table. And we are surveying employees, you know, what is, what is it that you need and how can we provide that to you? Because if we want women to fully participate in the workforce, you're going to really need to add this. You know, a lot of folks are saying that unemployment insurance, um, and we say that is one of the reasons why we can't get enough people back to work is because of this extended unemployment insurance. But we also say that it's caregiving. So we need platforms to help women and we need employers to invest in employees, especially in women. And, you know, of course, with, with mentors and um, sponsors. So those are the strategies we're thinking about is sort of the broader policy platforms, as well as particularly what we can do as an employer and what is everyone else doing and how can we bring it all together as a resource so that companies can come to us and say, what are the different ideas out there that companies are doing or using um, in order to keep women? If, if I can, I mean, I think the big lesson for me is that we have always focused as employers and supervisors focus on the what, what is it that needs to be produced, and then how and try to control both. And it may be time to say, okay, let's just let's just all agree on the outcome, right? The what, which is what the employer decides, but then recognize that there are different ways of making that happen. And so let's talk about the how and what is what, what are the options for the how that's done. And it may be that somebody works between you know one in the morning and you know eight in, in you know whatever time or, or that kind of a thing, and not necessarily you know eight thirty to five every day or whatever the case may be. So I think we have to also recognize that part of the change um, in, in the same way that we've gotten used to everybody doesn't have to be in the office all the time they can work from home it's like 
everybody doesn't have to produce what I need in the same way. And what is important is, can it be produced? And then the how is something that can be negotiated. And that's, I think, a major cultural shift that we need to make. It's going to take a while for that to happen, but I think that's necessary. And, and, and that's to address whether it's women issues, it's to address, you know, elder issues, it's to address whatever issues there may be in the workplace that actually are not addressed because there has been this, you know, dogma about not only what to produce, but how to produce it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, it's both, it's that macro level and to your point, making sure that you're focused on the outcomes and how you get there, it matters less, particularly in this environment. With that, I want to thank you both for a great conversation and uh, hopefully everyone has a great day. And as we return to what, we, what we're calling the new normal, I hope it's a good transition for all of you. So thanks again, Ashley and Ileana and uh, everyone take care. And that's a wrap on The Buzz with act Join us next week for more hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Twitter at ActIAC. More information about today's show can be found in the episode notes. For more insights, visit www.actiac.org. Thanks for listening.